Facebook Live it and do all that other fun stuff. Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in uh, our study through the Bible, and we have been working um, diligently for over eight years now. I mean, that's really good, you know, guys. Way to go. Um, and some of you have been with me from for the entire time period. That's awesome. Uh, we are working through a, cha uh, a chapter at a time. I read about it. We talk about it. And, um, and then we keep on plugging on. And we did the entire New Testament. That took us well, just under six years. And then over the last two years, we've been through the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus together. We've worked our way into the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a, it's a very interesting book. Um, I told you when we started, I really was studying, trying to find a shortcut where I could just kind of do a week study on uh, come one time in Leviticus and cover it and, and just move on to the next stuff. But uh, the more I looked at it, the more I realized that I can't do that because the book of Leviticus is actually quoted a hundred times in the New Testament. So must be important. And it's all important. So we're going to dig through. There's some places where we might combine a chapter or two, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the highlights of most of it as we press on. Last week we were in chapter 4, and, uh, and I talked about part of chapter 5, although I didn't read that part of 5. I'm going to do that to you today. But they, they go together, 4 and 5, and it, it talks about um, sin and the sin offering. And the, the reality is we're all in a state or condition of, of sin. We're all guilty of having uh, fallen short of the glory of God, having disobeyed Him. Every single one of us is guilty of that. And that, uh, that has separated us from God. Our sin has separated us from a perfect holy God. We had a big issue that we had to deal with. And so what's, um, what's happened now, and we explain this, is in Christ... We are forgiven and we're reconciled to God, and God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son. We'll talk about that more today. But um, it's only in Christ now that that, that that gap can be resolved. But in the Old Testament, because um, God made provision for them uh, as well, and they would have to follow His instructions very clearly about a sacrifice that was given, uh, and the animal stood as a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened in the Old Testament. So they symbolically sacrificed until Jesus actually came. But it was because of him coming that they could even do that at the time. And so that's what was going on with the sin offering. Now, at the end of chapter 5, we're introduced to, uh, uh, to another offering. And, and it's only those last four or five verses that have to do with his other offering, which is the guilt offering. And um, some people want to lump the sin offering and the guilt offering together, but it was, it was two actually quite different sort of things that happened. And remember, the, the, the offerings that have been coming up have sort of signified the, the life of, you know, the believer, that they've, they've, they've come into life with God, and, um, so they're, and then they're very thankful for that, and they make another offering, and then they, they realize that they have issues, or then they have the peace offering and the fellowship offering so they can stay in relationship to God. And then after that, um, then, then, you know, they, they recognize that they have sin going on, and so they, they want to deal with sin. And then as one of the fallouts of sin, there's guilt. And so um, we, we, uh, we want to look at what the guilt offering is. And then mostly I want to talk about guilt and how the enemy tries to use it against us. 
today. So that's the intro. I'm going to be reading out of uh, the New International Version. I'm going to read Leviticus 5 to you. It should show up on the screens. Hopefully it's in your notes. If you have a different translation, that's fine. We'll get to the same point. So Leviticus 5 and verse 1 and following. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. Or if a person touches anything ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, whether the carcasses of unclean wild animals or of unclean livestock or of unclean creatures that move along the ground, even though he's unaware of it, he has become unclean and is guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, anything that would make him unclean, even though he is unaware of it, when he learns of it, he'll be guilty. Or if a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he is unaware of it, in any case, when he learns of it, he'll be guilty. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. And as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. If he cannot afford a lamb, he's to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for his sin, one for sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He's to bring them to the priest, who shall first offer the one for the sin offering. He's to wring its head from its neck, not severing it completely, and to sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood must be drained out at the base of the altar. It's a sin offering. The priest shall then offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for him for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. If, however, he can't afford two doves or two young pigeons, he is to bring as an offering for his sin a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, uh, ephah of fine flour, for a sin offering. He must not put oil or incense on it because it is sin offering. He is to bring it to the priest, who shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. On top of the offerings made to the Lord by fire, it's a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him for any of these sins he has committed, and he'll be forgiven. The rest of the offering will belong to the priest, as in the case of the grain offering. So I'm going to stop just for a second there. The, uh, that part of Scripture we talked about last week, and when we covered the sin offering, because that was still running through the sin offering, and we talked about the, um, how God made a provision for people as, uh, as well who didn't have money. Um, so the poor could also stay in relationship with him, because if they couldn't afford a bull or, you know, a lamb or a goat, or uh, they could give pigeons, which they should be able to either purchase or catch, or doves, same sort of deal. If they couldn't do that, they could bring flour. There was always a way for everybody to get reconciled back to God, and there always is now in Christ. So, um, you know, I said last week, doesn't matter about, you know, any of those situations, it's just about coming to the Lord. All right, let's pick it up in verse 14, and here's where the guilt offering starts. The Lord said to Moses, when a person commits a violation and sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he is, bring, he is to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel. It's a guilt offering. He must make restitution for what he has failed to do in regard to the holy things. Add a fifth of that value to that and give it all to the priest who will make atonement for him with a ram as a guilt offering and he'll be forgiven. If a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he is guilty and will be held responsible. He is to bring the priest as a guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. 
In this way, the priest will make atonement for him for the wrong he has committed unintentionally, and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That's the end of Leviticus chapter 5. Now, um, as I said to you, these are our difficult chapters. Remember, Leviticus is, is primarily the establishment uh, of the Levitical priesthood. And this was how they were going to maintain their relationship with God in the midst of their sin and mess. And it's very detailed. Um, it's, a, it's a big mess. Um, and they would have a lot on their part to deal with in, in order to, st you know, stay connected to God. And all of that teaches us that we're thankful that there's a better way now in Christ to replace the Levitical priesthood. So we have the right priest in place and everything happening. So we don't have to do all of this in the process. There's so many things that they would have to think about and do and um, be careful of. And, and things that we don't even begin to imagine, they, th this was all a part of their relationship. Because it, it points to the holiness of God. You have to understand that. The sinful condition of man, our, um, our constant sort of movement towards doing the things that we shouldn't, which all of us struggle with, and, and that we needed to be aware of, of how significant sin is. And we still need to be aware of that today. Now, even though we have a much better thing going on, we need to be aware of and never take for granted what has made happen, um, that what Jesus has done for us in, in the fact that now, you know, We've been forgiven in Christ, and, and that's huge. Um, but we never want to take sin lightly. We need to know that as, um, as believers with the Holy Spirit in us, we're to be changing uh, and yielding to the Spirit over time. So that's an amazing, amazing, wonderful, fantastic thing that we have as believers in Christ. And we, we learn more about it as we look at the Old Testament and how precious it is and the things that happen. Now, the thing about guilt that we need to be aware of is that guilt and shame are actually now the probably two of the enemy's favorite tricks to keep believers from experiencing full and abundant life. He, he likes to keep us caught in guilt and shame. And let me say that there's a difference, because we just read about people are guilty of breaking the Lord's commandments. There's, there's a difference in sort of a true guilt and a false guilt. So in order to help make that difference a little clearer, let, let me just say that I like to think of it as the difference between conviction and condemnation. And, and that conviction, which is actually a work of the Holy Spirit um, and leads to repentance will will ultimately draw you to the cross. It, it, it either initially to come to faith in Christ because you, you, you get that the sin is a big deal, needs to be dealt with, or continually as believers, it gets us back to God when we are convicted of our sin. We realize we've gone in our own direction and we, we want to get that right with God. And so we're drawn to Him. Condemnation, which shows up in what we would understand most likely as guilt, and shame is a trick of the enemy. And when he does it, it doesn't make you want to run back to God. It makes you want to run away from him. 
and it has a whole different feel, and it's got a, it's a whole different dynamic, because um, the enemy wants to convince you with his guilt and his shame that you shouldn't even think about being in the Lord's presence. You, you don't deserve it, and you, you shouldn't be there, and you shouldn't even go in there. Um, and while, while those things are somewhat true in Christ, they're not true at all. Um, we don't deserve to be there, but we can be there in Christ because we're believers. So we've been given the av availability now of having restored and reconciled relationship to God. So um, guilt, though, still is prevalent. People try to use guilt for all sorts of things. People will try and guilt one another. The enemy likes to try and use guilt to keep you from experiencing full and abundant life. Because if he can keep you stuck in your guilt and shame and not having relationship with God, you lose your impact in the world around us. Because you're, you're just stuck there. And a lot of people get stuck in guilt. Just absolutely stopped in their lives because of their guilt and, and the resulting shame from it. And so they, they shut down. They isolate. They don't, they don't relate to others well. They don't relate to God the way they should. And they basically get stopped in their track. A lot of people in their walk get stopped because of guilt and shame. So in our own strength, we just can't deal with it. So... You know, again, we need to be aware of the fact that, that what Jesus did on the cross was he died for the sin and the guilt of all people. He took it, sin and guilt, on himself to pay uh, the, the, for the penalty of man. He took it all on, and, and when he does that, he sets us free from guilt, the guilt of sin. He sets us free from it. And so when a person believes and approaches God through the sacrifice of Christ... Um, God counts the death of Christ for the person um, and, and now counts the person innocent, counts him free of guilt and condemnation. Justification is what I'm talking about. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's one of the most amazing concepts that we need to understand as believers, but it's the, it's the one that sets you free, the realization that you're justified. Uh, I'm talking about that more this weekend. It actually works into the series. So the person, because of us, that, because God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son, we're now acceptable to God. So we're reconciled. That's the basis that God is dealing with us already, which is an amazing thing. Uh, God, in the way that He's doing that, you know, the, we talk about this, uh, and I have talked about this, justification. That's what happened when we get saved. Sanctification is... So we're, we're saved, but we're being saved at the same time. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit living in us, changing us over time. Although God already sees us as justified, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to actually, you know, work that out in us until the point that we're with Jesus, we're, we're in this sanctification process because it doesn't, we don't finish because that's, <laughs> we got a lot of work because uh, we're a mess. And until we go to be with Him or He comes to get us, and then it's over, and, and that's glorification. That's, we will be saved. That, that whole concept is we're glorified then. New body, no sin, all good with him forever. So that's what we have. Now, the Old Testament believers were delivered from the weight and anguish of guilt through sacrifice. And again, it was the offering of an animal as a substitute sacrifice. And God counted the sacrifice as the ransom payment for the person's sin and guilt. And so he counted the person freed from guilt. But he did it for one reason. The substitute sacrifice pointed to the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to know that's what was going on there. It was all substitutionary at the time. That's what was happening. 
And it was all pointing at Jesus. So now, let's, let's for a moment, I want to pop back up into the book of Hebrews. And um, you might have to write these down if you want to show up. Or if you have your Bibles, you can turn as we go. I want to look at a few verses in Hebrews 10 to make these connections with what Jesus has done and what was going on. Hebrews 10, 12 says, When this priest, speaking of Jesus, if you look at the context, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, this is a fascinating thing because, so when Jesus had made the perfect sacrifice for sins once and for all at the cross, died, exchanged his life, shed his blood, was buried, defeated death, rose again. He sat down at the right hand of God. Why is it such a big deal that he sits down at the right hand of God? Because of what it means. See, in the Levitical system, the Levitical priest could never sit down because the sacrifices they offered were never completed. They just kept happening. They kept happening. You kept sinning, offerings, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, guilt, sacrifice, sacrifice. It was ongoing never stopped. They could have never sat down. But when Jesus offers the one sin that takes care of everything, I like it, sits down. It's a wonderful picture. Sits down at the right hand of God. And so it's a sign that His sacrifice was enough for all time. He had made perfect forever those who are being made holy, the Scripture says. He did it. There at the cross. Now let's go on in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Most of you know this verse because I've talked about it a lot. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So, because of what's happened and because of the high priest, perfect priest, Jesus, making this perfect sacrifice, we now have confidence to enter the most holy place. There's a therefore at the start of that in verse 19, and if you go back and look at it, I always say this, when there's a therefore, you need to figure out what it's therefore, and in this case, it's therefore verse 17, which said this, Hebrews 10, 17, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So we're talking about guilt and shame, right? That's how we're getting it. And, and so God says, I won't remember their sin and believers. I, I no longer remember their sin and lawless acts. So the stuff that we're getting all beat up by the enemy over guilt and shame, he doesn't remember anyway because it says he doesn't remember it in Christ. And because of that, therefore, the writer of Hebrews goes on and says, we can enter with confidence, into uh, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most holy place. Now, so I'm, I'm, I wanted to make sure I made this point today, that, that this is something that you have to take deep into your hearts. What Jesus did on the cross, on the cross was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. That's what you need to know. Because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we've done, we can enter into the most holy place. And if you remember, we, we just read about that last year in, when we were studying through the book of Exodus. The, the most holy place 
um, was the, where the literal presence of God was. The literal presence of God. So because of what Jesus has done, we can now actually be in the literal presence of God. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Access. They never had that. When we read about it in the Old Testament, the literal presence of God was there. And what would happen is the high priest, after a series of all sorts of ceremonial washings and things that he had to do and shaving completely and and not having a blemish anywhere and all those other things, he could enter into that literal presence one time a year to make things right with people, for the people. That's it. And, and we have access 24-7 because of what Jesus has done, the perfect sacrifice by the perfect person to perfect imperfect people. And, and so because of that, what we're given is it's a throne room perspective. And, and all of this has to do with not getting trapped in your guilt. If you get trapped in your guilt, you won't experience this part of the walk. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of, the glorious, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised us from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So I, I just made that point, right? That, that after that perfect sacrifice, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. And this power, this, that the amazing power that made all of that happen um, is, is available to us who believe. We have that same power available to us. And so He's, he's saying, you know, we need to, the eyes of our hearts need to be open so we can know this hope that he's called us to. We can know the riches of his inheritance, and we can know the power that's at work within us uh, for those who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated, uh, and seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. That same power is what he's talking about, and, and he has covered us for eternity. And so this this throne room perspective is understanding what's happened, that this power is at work with us, and our confidence is in Christ, and this, this, is, this is really cool. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 ties it all together. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. By grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Listen, so there in the throne room, in that picture now, is God the Father and the Son seated at His right hand and the Holy Spirit at work in us who has also seated us already there in the heavenly realms. Access into the throne room of God because of what's taken place. I, I say all that so that you know that um, it, it's in Christ that this happened, that God sees us and relates to us in Christ and our confidence to have access is, is because of what Jesus has done. And so in Christ, by His blood, we, we have this amazing blessing available to us 24-7. And I, and, and I want you to know that so you don't allow guilt and shame to steal, to, to take that away from you. Don't let the enemy take away what's happened to you because he would like to. He would like to keep you from exercising your ability to enter into the presence of God. And, and so... Don't let that happen. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be, you know, 
so caught up in our brokenness that we, we don't think that we, we can access the throne room of God be, because we can uh, because of what Jesus has done. And that we, we would never have earned it. Our, our confidence is being in His presence, not our own. It's, it's, uh, it's what He's made available to us. And so in your life, you know, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's, there's, you, you just keep it right with God. If you've messed up, you're convicted, you go run into God, you ask Him to, you know, forgive you, which He'll do. Obviously, you say your way was right, my way was wrong. He empowered you by His Spirit to go and do the next right thing. And over time, He continues to work it in you. But, but don't let the enemy trip you up with guilt. Respond to the conviction of the Spirit, not to the condemnation of the enemy. So anyway, think about that. And, uh, you know, it's His love and it's His acceptance that transform us and heal us and help us in the process. So hang on to those things. But that's enough for today. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you doing that. Love for you to visit. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We will pray for you. God bless you guys. See you soon.